Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Training with Tucker podcast. Thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episode and reached out to congratulate me on my result at Chicago. The support has been truly humbling. I am super stoked to be bringing on today the one and only Jason Fitzgerald. Jason is the founder of Strength Running, which is the name of his coaching business as well as his podcast, which is consistently one of the most popular running podcasts in the world. Jason is based in Denver, Colorado. He has had an illustrious running career himself and has helped thousands of athletes run stronger and faster with his programs. We go into a lot in this podcast today. We talk about his backstory, the transition from being a collegiate runner to a recreational runner, how and why he started strength running, some of the challenges he has faced as a content creator, and how he handles the negativity and sometimes hostility that comes when you put content out on the internet. We talk about how runners can become more resilient and durable, and we talk about much more in this one. It's a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's my chat with Jason Fitzgerald. Right, Jason, thank you so much for for coming on my podcast today. You were uh, one of the first running podcasts that that I remember listening to a number of years back. So I'm super excited to to have you on today to talk more about yourself and and your background and, and all of that. So you know, why don't you you start us off by just telling uh, telling the audience a little about your background as an athlete and how you got into the, the world that you are in now of, of having this fantastic uh, business of strength running. Thanks, Tucker. Yeah, excited to chat with you after meeting a bunch of times in real life. We probably should have done the podcast recording in real life too, but here we are. Um, yeah, I've been a runner for as long as I can remember. I started as a freshman in high school. You know, I was the kid showing up to practice in long mesh shorts and basketball shoes I thought that cross country was similar to track. So I legitimately thought that I was going to be high jumping on the first day of cross country practice. And it's just amazing looking back on that silly mindset and what I thought I knew about cross country at the time. And now here I am, you know, I went four years in high school, four years in college running cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, kept competing and training pretty heavily in my post-collegiate years throughout my 20s when most of my running friends, you know, stopped running after college, you know, they were focusing on their jobs and things like that. I just couldn't quit this passion of mine. And I was just having so much fun that, uh, you know, I trained pretty competitively up through, I would say, 2015. And then, you know, once I had my second kid and especially once I had my third child, it was a little bit more challenging for me to continue to run 80, 90 miles a week like I used to. Uh, But I'm still running, you know, almost every day. I'm still doing different types of workouts and long runs and strength training. So I still have a general structure around my running that is like training. I'm just not putting in the effort like I used to. It's a little bit more challenging now with all my responsibilities and, and especially with strength running, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, um, also something that has, has filled the void a little bit for me. You know, I was just talking earlier about how, you know, I was half jokingly saying that I'm a shell of my former runner and that, you know, what I can do now is, is not 
even a, a shadow of what I could do, say, 10 years ago. But I get just as much excitement now from hearing my athletes set personal bests. You know, I, I just was working with someone who, who just set a 25-minute PR in the marathon this past weekend at Chicago and qualified for Boston by two minutes. And this was like an impossible stretch goal that they never thought they would accomplish, you know, maybe in five years. And it's those kind of stories that just get me so amped up about the sport. I loved that feeling of progress, of improvement, of just getting better. You know, that's one of the things that really made me fall in love with the sport of running was, wow, I put in the work. I'm actually going to get results. And, and I really liked that. You know, I came from a basketball background before I was a runner and, you know, you've met me, I'm five foot seven, I'm no basketball player, but <laughs> when all my friends kept growing and I stopped, you know, I had to, I had to give up my, my first love of basketball. Um, but part of, part of that was I liked how objective running was and, and a lot of, a lot of other sports, especially team sports, ball sports, a lot of that is subjective. You know, you can say, well, we lost the game today because of my teammates, because my coach made a bad call, because of something else that happened that wasn't in my control. And I like the fact that runners are mostly in control of their running. They choose how to train, how much to train, and that has the big impact on their performances at the end of the day. So, you know, with running, I felt like, wow, I put in the work, I'm going to see results. And it was this very like kind of one-to-one relationship. You, you know, you just put in more work, you got more results out of this little running machine. And I loved it. I loved that progress. And, and I think a lot of runners are like that. You know, you, you start getting better and then all of a sudden you're doing things that you previously were incapable of doing. And then I think that's a very intoxicating feeling. So now most of my passion for the sport is is spreading the good word, trying to help runners optimize their training. And, and, you know, I like, I like to live vicariously through them now. Yeah. So something that I, I think I've seen as a trend with, with athletes like yourself who competed at a super high level in college or post-collegiately is that because they, you know, were putting so much time and effort into their training and they were getting great results oftentimes, uh, you know, in college and, and soon after college that they've almost set this, this mark that is so hard to live up to. I'd be curious if you would agree that, that a lot of athletes who did run in college often have a harder time because they aren't maybe progressing into their late twenties, early thirties and beyond. And, and that can be, you know, a little bit of a, of a tough mental challenge. I agree with you 100%. I think it's challenging to put so much effort into the sport at a younger age because you re do reach your peak a little bit earlier, right? And, you know, I was fortunate in that I got to take advantage of my prime physical years, you know? I mean, when are you the best runner that you can be? It's it's like 20 to 35, right? And the older years are probably better for the longer distances. The younger years are probably better for the shorter distances. And so all of my personal bests in track distance races mostly came from my college years. And, and I remember talking to a friend of mine who was much better than I was. He was a 
New England champion in the 10K in Division Three. Uh, he ended up running a 225 marathon post collegiately. So this is a very good runner, and and he was saying how it's probably true that none of us will ever touch any of our college PRs, and that ended up being true for me, with the exception of my mile PR that I set six months after I graduated college. So besides that one PR, I got I squeaked out one little mid distance PR post collegiately. Uh, he was actually 100% correct in that I've never come close to running the times that I could run that I did in college. Now, I also probably couldn't run 10 mile, half marathon, and marathon times that I did in the years beyond college when I was in college. You know, the balance was just so shifted that it was much more intensity. Uh, we weren't running as long for our long runs, but it, it does kind of pose this interesting psychological dilemma, right? Because you kind of have to then focus on different things post-collegiately. You know, um, I can't tell you how many 5Ks that I raced post-collegiately where I was nowhere close to my PR. Now, part of that is because my 5K PR is from the track and the track is the fastest surface that you will ever run on. It is exactly the distance. It is flat. It has good energy return. I mean, you are running the fastest venue possible if you're racing on a track. And, you know, there really aren't too many all-comers track meets for adults. And so there are fewer opportunities to get into some of those mid-distance races. A lot of them are on the road. You know, there's uh, one mile and 5K races a lot out on the road, but it's going to be more challenging to run fast. Uh, on the road, just because you're dealing with elevation changes, the way that USATF measures their courses, you know, they actually add a little bit. So it might not be 5,000.0 meters that you're running in a road race. They might have to add a little bit of a buffer according to the USATF course certification guidelines. So there's a lot of different reasons why it's more challenging. Uh, and, and the other reason too is I think the workouts you have to do to get good at the mile, the 3K, the 5K, maybe even the 10K are so challenging that you need a team. You need folks mm. around you pushing you and almost normalizing this insane speed that you are trying to lasso and harness and, and kind of domesticate for yourself. Because, you know, I, I remember just thinking so many things were impossible and then I did them. And that wouldn't have happened unless I was surrounded by a group of people who were normalizing fairly extreme behavior. Hey, we're going to run 90 miles a week this week. That's normal to us. We're going to run five times a mile under five minute pace. That's normal to us. And so it shifted my thinking, which then allowed me to dream bigger, to expect more for myself, to put in more work. That is harder post-collegiately. And, and it's definitely a struggle. You kind of have to focus on some longer distance races. You know, I got into um, uh, triathlon and I did a duathlon and I really loved, um, you know, some of the, the 10 mile and half marathon distances. I even did a, uh, an obstacle course race at one time. So I just was experimenting and just sort of seeing what I liked post collegiately because I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to see what I could do in some of these different races. But you're right, it, it's hard. Um, and there's a little bit of a, an identity crisis that you have when, you know, at, at some point you're going to recognize I am never going to run that PR or better ever again. And, that, and that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. It's a little bit of like, 
you know, I'm not one of the fast guys anymore. And, and I remember, you know, growing up being like a 15 year old on the cross country and track team. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to be one of the fast guys. I thought that was cool. It was, it was an athletic uh, accomplishment that was really uh, attractive to me. And I feel like I sort of accomplished that, you know, in, in my own little way and in, in the small D3 school that I went to, I still had to fight to be number seven on the cross country team my senior year, but that struggle was worth it and it made it even more special. But now that I'm not there, I sort of have to, you know, just set new goals for myself. And, and now I'm much more in love with my client's progress. And, and I love using running as this exploratory form of exercise where I can go on an amazing trail run. Uh, I can go, you know, up to Rollinsville, Colorado, where I just was this past weekend and just go for an amazing run uh, with the Aspens changing color behind me. I just feel like running can give you so many things that you have to sort of start putting the times and PRs to the side once you get to a certain point in your running career. And uh, that's where I am right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, sharing all of that. I think that's definitely a very valuable, um, you know, valuable story for people to hear that, that did compete at a high level in college or post-collegiately and also valuable for all of us as we, at some point we'll get to, you know, to that, that tipping point where we don't PR every race. And it is important to have that relationship with running be a positive one where you want to continue running, even if, you know, your, your easy runs are slower, your workouts are slower, your races are slower and, and still want to continue to, uh, to get out the door, but let's move on to strength running, which you've mentioned a couple times now is, is your business and you have a podcast website. Um, you offer all sorts of different programs. Curious what inspired you to start strength running and, and why the focus on strength? Yeah, good question. I I think I started strength running because I always knew that I wanted to do something in the sport professionally. And for a while, I thought there was really only two options. You can either be a professional runner or you can be a coach. And my thinking about coaching was that you either had to be, you know, a, a college coach a professional level coach where you're coaching elites or you're a high school cross country or track coach. And I kept those options open. I, I, I almost went down the road of, you know, I'm going to teach like high school social studies and be the cross country and track coach. And I thought I would really have a great time with that kind of a lifestyle. Um, and, and as I got a little bit older, I realized, wow, there's actually all these other types of jobs within the running industry that, that you can be a part of. And, you know, as I started working after I graduated college in 2006, you know, I had this, you know, entry level job that wasn't really scratching the itch of, you know, feeling fully fulfilled. And so what I was doing every day during my lunch hour was going down to the Barnes and Noble that was right near the office. And I was looking at entrepreneurship books. I was looking at personal finance books because in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I can't do this kind of, you know, not very meaningful work for the next 40 years. And uh, I found a book. Uh, it was actually The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which was fascinating to me. And 
my God, if, if only I could work four hours a week, that, that would be incredible. But <laughs> it's, it's not really that romantic. Um, but that gave me the inspiration to go buy the domain name strengthrunning.com. And to be honest with you, I bought it because I thought it sounded cool. I did not buy it for any, you know, genius branding reasons. I didn't have, you know, some decision matrix all set up where, you know, I was picking this for a very strategic reason. I just thought it sounded cool. So I bought strengthrunning.com in 2007. And over the next couple of years, I didn't do anything with it. I just, I owned it. I had it. I was like, ah, this is cool. Maybe I'll start doing online coaching. And, And this is sort of when you know, the internet was changing and people were starting to do more interactive things with, you know, web 2.0 type uh, platforms. And I realized that online running coaches exist and I could do that too. And so in 2009, I started um, strengthrunning.com. I actually put up a website. You can go on the Wayback Machine and take a look at it. It was awful. But what I realized then was that no one's going to come to your website if it's just a static website that just stays there. It never gets updated. Nothing happens to it. So in 2010, I started the Strength Running blog. I never wanted to start a blog. I never wanted to be known as a blogger. I was like, what am I doing with my life? But I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to doing this. And I'm going to try to help runners avoid the mistakes that I made in my training. And so that was sort of the the origin story of, of Strength Running. And you know, when I started the blog in 2010, I was all in. I was fully committed to being uh, to publishing two articles every single week. I tried to make them longer, more detailed, funnier, easier to read. You know, I just tried to make them better than any of the running content that existed out there um, on other you know major running websites. Uh, and that is really how it started. I mean, it was very slow and gradual at first. Uh, I don't think I created my first training program, you know, until two or three years later. You know, I started with uh, coaching runners one-on-one, writing custom training plans. And one of the things that I've done is I've really tried to listen. I have used my platform to listen to runners' problems. What are they struggling with? What do you hope to achieve? You know, what are your dreams, aspirations, hopes, fears, problems you experience And I just try to solve those. I try to help runners with whatever they're trying to work through. And so that's really the genesis of all the training programs that we have at Strength Running is I want to, you know, help runners be more consistent, prevent injuries, get faster. Those are like the top three goals for runners. You know, if if you survey runners, what are your goals? They're probably going to fall into one of those three categories. Uh, And then over time, you know, we started the strength running YouTube channel and the podcast. So it's been quite the journey over the last 12 years or so. Uh, and I think I just celebrated my 10 year anniversary of doing it full time. So I'm a decade in now to this being my sole gig. So it's been really fun. That's awesome. Well, congrats on 10 years. That That's super impressive. I, I'm just getting over three years, which with the pandemic, I feel like is, uh, you know, it feels a lot more like one or two years, but um, 10 years, that is no joke. And uh, I'm sure there've been, you know, lots of up and ups and downs that that come with entrepreneurship, but uh, give you a ton of credit for, for building what you've built. It's, it's super impressive. Oh, thanks, man. It's been fun. I mean, just, you know, working on different projects. Uh, and, and one of the things I like about, you know, having a podcast or, or having a blog and, and those kinds of things is that, 
just like running, all your effort is cumulative. You know, it builds on itself. And, you know, it's almost like you get to see your fitness growing. You know, you get to see your business growing. You get to see your reach growing. So it's a very rewarding experience, which, which I also think is very interesting in that, you know, I was drawn to two things that are very similar in terms of, you know, gradual progress over time, the value of consistency with content creation and also your training. I see so many different parallels between my business and running that it, there's probably some like psychological angle we can take here um, if we're going to turn this into a therapy session. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, when did you kind of see the the hockey stick growth? You know, I'm sure there were like with running, there's probably a time where it's just putting out the blog consistently, consistently doing things the right way and just trusting that eventually it will pay off. At what point did you kind of see the the growth to where you you are at now? Well, I'll say that I don't think I've ever really experienced too much of that viral hockey stick exponential explosive growth that everyone wants everyone's looking for i felt like i've seen a lot of my peers experience that but i haven't and so i I do have that little bit of like feeling of of missing out that fomo but at the same time i think it's more rewarding to see gradual consistent growth over time you know I, i think the first couple years were were big growth years in terms of subscribers and your overall reach and just different opportunities. Um, you know, in those first like three years, for example, that's when traffic just went, you know, when traffic goes from zero to a couple thousand, you know, you're like, wow, this is insane. Um, and, and the same thing too, with opportunities. So I was able to write for big websites. I was able to um, be a regular writing for major publications. You know, I used to write a weekly article for active.com and that was really helpful for me at the time. And that was back in the early days, you know, 2012 through 2015 or so. Um, so, you know, it, it's been interesting in that the growth hasn't always been subscribers or your audience, you know, your community. It, it also hasn't necessarily been, you know, overall business revenue, Uh, or even opportunities. It's just like everything's sort of like growing a little bit at the same time. And I'm okay with that. You know, I I think it's fun that way. It it always gives you something to work on, something to improve. Um, So yeah, it's been really fun, but I I haven't experienced any one of those hockey stick explosions and growth. Yeah. Consistency, right? That's what it's all about. Sounds like you've you've mastered that. Um, But you do, you have built this, this really, you know, big following and, you know, you have thousands and thousands of athletes that, you know, use your, your offerings, your programs and follow you on social media. And so I'm curious, you know, there's in the social media world, which I'm sure has changed tremendously over your 10 years of doing this. Um, but you know, with it comes, not everybody's going to, to like what you put out there. Not everybody's going to agree with you. How have you handled some of the the negativity that, that can come with putting yourself out there to thousands and thousands of people on social media and through your blog and all of that. Yeah, it's certainly hard. And, you know, anytime that you're sharing content online or, or even just publishing an opinion on something, you know, cause a lot of issues within running are somewhat opinion based, you know, different styles of coaching and things like that. 
you're certainly going to draw people who have other opinions and they want to let you know about those other opinions. Um, I think anybody who's doing similar things to what we're doing has got to have a pretty tough skin, you know, pretty thick skin when it comes to criticism. Uh, most of it is, is unwarranted and hollow. And I, I just think it speaks more negatively about the person who's offering, you know, unfounded criticism or anything like that. Whereas some criticism is, is, is valid. Some, you know, some people have suggestions, um, and, Hopefully they're providing those suggestions in a respectful way. Sometimes you can have a good suggestion and, and you deliver it horribly, which I've been on the receiving end of some of those. Um, but I think it's always an opportunity to learn, you know, like, is there a kernel of truth in whatever, you know, criticism I, I'm getting right now? Um, and, and I don't know how deep you want to get into this. Maybe you want to cut this. But one of the interesting things that I think has happened over the last like five years is that everyone's really sensitive now. And so you are going to get a lot of folks who are outraged about something that shouldn't be outrageous. So I'll give you a quick example. I actually go out of my way to have more women on my podcast. I think they are underrepresented in the running community. You have most most high-level coaches are men. If you look at the top 50 or 100 best-selling running books on Amazon and just do a tally, you can do this manually, 80 to 85% of them are going to be written by men. And so it's difficult to represent more women on a podcast. And, and I got an email once from a professor at Wesleyan University who said, I love all your content. I consume a lot of it. I have never once gotten the the vibe from you that you're sexist. But then she proceeded to kind of lecture me about who I was having on my podcast and and then said, you know, you should do better for your daughters. So now I'm a little worked up because <laughs> because and I and I emailed this person back and I was like, look, and I told her exactly what I told you. The pool of people to choose from to have on your podcast is is, is skews highly male. Not only that, what I have learned anecdotally in my experience as a podcast host, the people who pitch themselves to come on my podcast, 70 to 80% men. And that just might mean, I don't know, men are a little bit more aggressive. You know, that I don't think that's too controversial. And maybe they're a little bit more aggressive with their careers, their self-promotion. That might be why I ha probably have more men on my podcast than women. But earlier this year, I think I had a 10 episode run where I had all women on my podcast and I was getting negative reviews in Apple because I was only interviewing women on my podcast. So one of the things I've learned is that even if you're trying to do the right thing, something that you truly believe, you are going to have people complain that you're not doing enough or complain about what you're doing. Yep. So for me, you kind of just have to stay true to yourself and do your best to serve your audience. Like I, I try to have the best guests on my podcast, the most informed conversations. I don't really pay too much attention to my guests' gender or their skin color or how tall they are or even what their PRs are, which is, you know, maybe a even a little more relevant on a running podcast. It's more, are you a subject matter expert? Do you have an interesting story? 
Do you have something to share with my audience that is going to materially help their training in their running? Uh, you know, the other things I, I just don't care as much about, but I've just learned that you've got to have a really thick skin and you can't take everything personally because sometimes people are just having a bad day and they lash out. And I think over the last couple of years, a lot of people have been having a lot of bad days for a lot of different reasons. And that has just increased the overall level of rancor on the internet. And it's not fun as a content creator sometimes. So it's really helpful to use that mute button to ban people from commenting on your YouTube videos who only have negative things to say that are not constructive in any way possible. And just to have a, a zero tolerance policy for you know, that kind of abusive behavior, because, you know, a constructive criticism is one thing, but if you're just constantly critiquing for no reason and your critiques are not valid, that's a different story. So, you know, I don't think I've had it figured out at this point, even though I've been doing it for, you know, I've been doing this for 12 plus years at this point. Um, you know, I still have days where three people will tell me that, you know, I'm, I'm the greatest gift to their running ever. And then I get one nasty comment and that's all I can think about because, you know, we're human and, and that's the way yeah. that we process compliments and, and negative uh, comments. So yeah, I don't have the perfect answer for this one. It's tough. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I appreciate it. And, uh, it's definitely helpful to, to hear a lot of that. And I think you, the most important thing in there was just to be open to examining negative criticisms and and try and, and see if there's something to learn there. I think that's that's an important takeaway from that. So thanks for sharing that. To go back to you know what you offer, um, you offer a wide variety of different different programs out there. Strength is certainly a big component to it. Um, what do you see as some of the most important, you know, movements, exercises, things that people can be doing, runners can be doing, uh, to stay healthy, to stay consistent and to, to build strength? Yeah, I think generally speaking, like from a 30,000 foot perspective, we have to recognize that running is a two dimensional sport. You know, what are we trying to do? Run straight ahead as fast as we can. Like that's basically the sport of running. It's very simple. It's very one dimensional. And so I think it's helpful to think of ourselves as athletes that specialize in running. And then that opens up a lot more opportunities for you to do other work in your training. Because if you're just running, you're leaving a lot of performance on the table and you're also opening yourself up to injuries. So, you know, I'm a big fan of all kinds of different movements for runners. Um, and I think that's a, a good way to frame it. Tucker is, is not, you know, what's the best weightlifting exercise. It's, you know, what are these movements that are fundamental that help us develop athleticism and coordination and proprioception and a lot of those finer skills that are in very high demand on some ball sport type teams. You know, if you're a basketball player, you're going to want to be very coordinated because you're going to want to do a lot of things with that basketball. You're going to want to shoot it from very far away. Whereas with running, we tend to think we don't need too much of that, but that's where a lot of our running economy comes from and our efficiency. So a lot of the strength movements and even dynamic flexibility exercises, uh, core exercises, there's a lot of different things that we can be doing. Um, I'm a little bit agnostic when it comes to 
what specific exercises to do with the exception that I love the fundamentals. I love the basics. You know, they're fundamental for a reason. They sort of build that, you know, general foundation for you to then do more power oriented strength training or do some more specific strength training. Um, it's almost like, you know, you can't do really hard workouts or a 20 mile marathon paced long run before you first just run some easy mileage, you know, let's build a foundation first. Let's improve your capacity for doing the harder things so that you can actually do them. And we can approach strength training and a lot of this movement practice in the same way where, you know, I think sort of the ideal structure for strength training is, you know, number one, if you're ready to start weightlifting, great. Two sessions a week, I think that's perfect. And then we can follow up our other runs during the week when we're not in the gym, when we're not lifting weights with some more body weight oriented strength training. That's a little bit more similar to what you might do in a physical therapy office if you were injured. So it's there uh, primarily for injury prevention reasons, but it's also going to help you get stronger. It's also going to help you move in a lot of different planes of motion and improve your ranges of motion so that you're just developing that um, athleticism. And then we should also start our runs with a dynamic warm up. You know, five to ten minutes of lunges and different exercises, leg swings to really do all the things that a warm up should do. You know, we want to increase our respiration, lubricate our joints. We want to um, uh, increase our our heart rate and really metabolically prime our body for the run that we're about to go on. And so, if you're if you if you have this structure within your training, where okay, every run is going to be preceded by this you know ten ish minute dynamic warm up, and then after every run, I'm going to do you know maybe a 10, 15, 20 minute body weight strength routine that is primarily focused on being corrective, on helping you stay healthy. And then twice a week, I'm going to get in the gym and focus on the fundamentals, you know, squats, deadlifts, maybe some standing presses for the, for the upper body and the core. You know, I think that is probably the ideal schedule. And in the individual exercises that are included in that schedule are, you know, some of the basics, some things like squats and deadlifts and planks and bridges and pushups and lunges. You know, off the top of my head, like those are six of my favorite exercises for runners. Uh, and then, of course, we can add in band work. We can add in some, you know, kettlebells or, or other lighter implements like a medicine ball to get a little bit more resistance. So if someone's totally new to strength training, maybe we start with the body weight stuff. And then after a month or so, we can add in those lighter implements, the bands. And then finally, we can get into the gym. So that's a nice little progression of how you would approach your strength training if you're totally new to strength training. Um, so yeah, that's how I think about all those different exercises. Cause I think once we're doing the dynamic flexibility work before we're, before we're running, once we have a good strength training habit within our training, you know, the next thing is, you know, are we running fast regularly? Are we doing some drills maybe once or twice a week? Uh, are we maybe getting on some trails? you know, not necessarily every week. I know that's impossible for some runners, but, you know, in a, in a reasonable amount of time so that we can get some experience on trails. I think that's some of the best movement prep that we can ask for as coaches because you're getting in strength training, dynamic flexibility work, drills, you know, you're running trails, you're running really fast. And, and I think that's movement prep right there. I mean, just sprinting is, 
is is the running stride in its full maximal range of motion. And there's nothing more specific than that. So yeah, I think those are some of the really great ways to think about movement and then how to structure it a little bit in the training cycle. Fantastic. So you've had the the pleasure of working with a, a wide range of athletes and you're very familiar with you know how the elites train all the way to the beginner runners. I'm curious, what do you see as some of the gaps between how elite runners train and how amateurs train? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think one of the things that it boils down to is intentionality. You know, what is the purpose of this run? And am I going to execute this run according to its purpose? So you're very rarely going to see elite level runners running their easy runs too fast, which is a very common mistake with, with most of us, right? I mean, I make this mistake too, just because I like to run fast. What can I say? Uh, and I know at this point in my training career, I'm not letting down my coach or team. So, you know, this is a scenario where maybe you should, you know, do, do as I say, not as I do. But if you are training really hard, like that's a huge mistake. You've got to save yourself for the harder workouts and the long runs that are within your training program. Uh, I think the other thing that elites do is they surround themselves with other runners and other people who can help their training. So, you know, I was, I was talking a little while ago uh, with a friend of mine who's, who's really good. He's ended up running 225 in the marathon. Uh, I think I mentioned him earlier and, and he was saying that it's easier for me to train for a marathon now than it is for like the mile or the 5k because I just can't do those workouts without a team of people supporting me and pulling me along. And yeah, it's, it's, it's that community of people that, that peer support that is absolutely needed to, to reach your potential. And so if you're training alone, I think one of the best things you can do is at the minimum, find a training buddy to do workouts with who's, you know, about your ability level, uh, ideally a little bit faster so they can pull you along a little bit. You can be aspirational and hope to train at their level at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, there's surrounding yourself with other runners, but also surrounding yourself with the people who could help your running. And this is actually the whole purpose of my podcast, the strength running podcast. I try to treat the average runner as an elite who is surrounded by a team of experts. And that's why I always have sports psychologists, strength coaches, physical therapists, other running coaches, uh, some elite runners, uh, you know, in, in all the people who a pro runner might go to for assistance with some aspect of their training, not all of us, in fact, the majority of us are not going to be able to have that kind of a team supporting their training and their running. And I try to, with my podcast, give runners that team. So I'm having all these different people on to talk about so many different aspects of, of their training, and they can be improving their psychology, their injury resilience, their strength, their workouts, ways they think about mileage, and really this holistic view of their training because all these subject matter experts are contributing. So I think that's another big differentiator between the elite and the non-elite is that elites ask for help. They get help from all these other people. And a lot of times us recreational runners, we just think, hey, we're going to muscle through this. We can do it ourselves. If something hurts, I'll just take a week off and try to go running again next week where, you know, let's actually see that subject matter expert get a good 
opinion on whatever we're dealing with. Maybe it's pre-race anxiety or this niggle, this injury that's bothering me, or I just don't know how to set up a season. So I'm going to go hire Tucker to help me uh, set up my season so that I'm actually going to be more strategic with all this hard work that I'm going to do. Um, so those are, I think some of the bigger ones, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly some finer details. Um, you know, elite runners obviously run a lot more than the recreational runner. Um, that doesn't mean that recreational runners should run super high mileage. I think that's probably a bad idea because we're dealing with a job. We're dealing with all kinds of other work and professional and home stresses that a lot of pro runners don't have to deal with. But I think some of the general principles carry over really well. Like, let's try to run high mileage that's relative to your ability. Um, let's race frequently. You know, besides the marathoners, you know, those, those middle distance track runners race very frequently. And I do think racing is a skill. It takes a while to get good at it. It takes a while for you not to put a race on a pedestal so much that you get so nervous about it that you know, it, it just becomes this enormous monster in your brain. And in fact, you really just have to say, Hey, look, this is another race. This is a logical extension of my training. I've done the work. I'm prepared. This shouldn't be too stressful. You know, of course I'm going to be a little anxious beforehand. You know, that's normal. Uh, it'd be weird if you didn't experience any pre-race stress or anything like that. That's a good reminder that you're alive, but it shouldn't overly stress you out. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of different uh, similarities. I think there's more similarities actually than differences, um, between elite runners and us recreational runners. But for the most part, I think it's, it's in their approach to the sport, not necessarily what they're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. It's a great answer. I really appreciate that. Um, there's certainly more that I'm sure we could, could go into, but I think there's some really good, really good takeaways there for us amateurs to, uh, to think about and how we approach our training. I think the the thing that I love the most that you said there was just the intentionality and really focus on the, on the intention of each session, because I do think that the most common mistake that us recreational runners make is so many of our runs are roughly the same pace, roughly the same distance, roughly the same effort. Um, you know, very, very similar <laughs> wearing the same shoes. Like it's just so repetitive, so much over and over of the same exposure and if you really want to maximize your, your development as, as an athlete, you have to be intentional. So love that point. Um, I've one, taken one, a, Go ahead. One thing that I would love to add is that I think there's a difference between being an elite runner and having a professional approach to your running. So you can have a professional approach to your running, even if you are nowhere near a professional runner. And for most of my running career, I was nowhere near a pro runner, but I tried to take a professional approach to the sport in that I was going to do everything I could to get better. So I was going to do the warm up. I was going to do the drills. I was going to run an appropriate pace. I was going to push myself when it was necessary. I was going to prioritize getting a lot of sleep every night. And so a lot of the, the differences is in elite runners approaching the sport in a very methodical professional way, almost like, look, imagine that you're getting paid to run. If you are getting paid to run, you're not going to skip your strides. If you're getting paid to run, you're not going to run this easy run at your tempo pace 
because, oh, your friends in town and they're really fit and you don't want to embarrass yourself and, you know, insert excuse here. You need to do what's right for you and execute your plan in a professional way, in a methodical, just, you know, no excuses. Let's try to do this the way that it's supposed to be done. Just imagine you have a coach like next to you at all times. It's like the ghost of Tucker and he's right there next to you and he's whispering, hey, you shouldn't be doing this or hey, good job. And, and that will help you do the right thing. Because I think most runners know what they should be doing, but the difference between knowing what you should do and what you're actually doing is actually very wide. I love that. Thank you for adding that that bit in there. That's definitely a, a good addition to, to the conversation here. Um, I've taken up a lot of your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find more information about you and uh, all that you offer? Yeah, well, strengthrunning.com is my home base. That's where you can find information on the Strength Running podcast, the uh, the blog that we have that, geez, at this point is 12 and a half years old. Uh, so there's, I think, close to a thousand published articles on the Strength Running site that uh, cover all kinds of wacky and weird topics related to runners. Uh, and then on YouTube, youtube.com slash strengthrunning is our YouTube channel. So those are like the three main areas where folks can uh, check out strength running, see what we offer. And then if, if folks actually have a question for me, you know, you can contact me through the website or you can find me on social media. My handle is Jason Fitz one on both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I love running and love helping runners. So I'd be happy to chat with anyone who has any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on my show today. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, uh, I remember when I was just thinking about this idea of starting up my coaching business, finding your podcast, and you know, I can only speak as as a single consumer of your content, but having both yourself as a super knowledgeable person and then also the guests that you bring on, um, I can attest to you know what your it sounds like your mission is of of creating this team of people that are you know, bringing in a wide variety of, of different experiences and backgrounds and providing that information to, to runners so that they can be stronger versions of, of themselves. So that's certainly something that I experienced and I appreciate uh, all that you put out there. So thanks again for coming on the show and, and all that you do. Oh, thanks Tucker. I really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I, I like your description of the podcast. I might use that in the future. It's, it's the team of people helping you do what you want to do. And, uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, here are a few ways you can help me out. You can share this episode with others. You can leave a rating and a review wherever you consume podcasts, and you can hit subscribe. All of these go a long way in helping me grow the podcast and reach more people. If you've made it this far, thank you. And as a thank you, I would like to answer any questions you have in an upcoming podcast episode. Please email me your questions at tuckergrossecoaching at gmail.com. T-U-C-K-E-R-G-R-O-S-E-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G at gmail.com. And I'll be doing a Q&A episode in the next few weeks. So you can look forward to that coming up soon. Mm-hmm.